Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. This is a 15-week study of Who Holds Forgiveness. The word forgiveness brings different emotions to each of us. Join us as we dig deeper into who holds forgiveness. Here's Jacqueline. Welcome to Women Inseparable Week 6 of our Who Holds Forgiveness study. Are we ready? Okay, we're going to get into Mark, Mark chapter 8. We may peek into Second Peter. We may not. But whether we do or whether we don't, my encouragement to you is peek, peek into Second Peter. And if you're going to peek into Second Peter, might as well peek into First Peter. Take both letters as one. They're beautiful, beautiful words from Peter. But we're going to do Mark 8. We're going to talk about Peter. And we're going to talk about what matters the most. We're going to talk about Jesus. But first, let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, what a sweet, sweet opportunity you give to us every day. Every fresh new day, you fill us with such grace and such mercy. You fill us with your, with your abundant strength. You wrap us in your love. You call us yours every day, every day. Your breath is in our lungs every day. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for being so real, for being so faithful. I thank you specifically for today this special day that we get to come together, that we get to unite as a body of believers, opening the very, very word of God, the same word that was with God, the same word that was God, the same word that in the beginning was and is and forever will be. And thank you so much that we have the Bible to hold. We get to hold it in our hands, hold it in our hearts, hold it in our minds. We get to lay it as our foundation. We get to stand on it. We get to proclaim the truth of it. And we get to smile as we do all of it freely and faithfully and through your power. Oh, what mighty things you do on a daily basis. And we thank you for that. Father God, right now, Mark chapter 8 and the story of Peter and the lesson of Peter is laid open before you, and I pray with my whole heart that you will go before this lesson as you've already promised that you have. I pray that your words will be spoken, that your truth will be revealed. I pray that the Holy Spirit will reign in the power and the presence in which he was created to do. I pray that you will be magnified today through our study on who holds forgiveness. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 8. It's crazy that we are in week six already. This has been a good study. This has been a great study. Every single week I want to leave our study and I want to go home and I want to have text dialogues. I have a text thread with some girlfriends from uh, Vegas and we discuss on that text thread. Some of us discuss it as a group. Some of us peek into our own little private conversations one-on-one -on -one and talk because some of this stuff that we've covered in the series is a little personal. Sometimes our personal challenges get a little personal. So those conversations are happening one-on-one -on -one and I love it. And then I've got my Women Inseparable team and we open up in dialogue and we share scripture that we find from scriptures of our studies and we embrace it even more. I just love that dialogue. I want more. And I love that my husband listens to this podcast because that's my small group. So he comes home the day after and listens to it. When he comes home from work, we sit and we talk scripture and I get to home, home group. But there's always so much more. So we were even talking about before we even started this morning that scripture never ends. There's never an end to it. And I think this is what we're seeing more than anything 
in this Who Holds Forgiveness series is the scriptures, it's endless, as is his forgiveness. There's no end to it. Peter knows about that. Peter has a story. We know a lot about Peter. A lot of Bible students know much about Peter. So we're not going to do a raise your hand and like as if we were, you know, a kid's Sunday, Sunday school class. What do you know about Peter? And they throw down all their information. We could do that because we have head knowledge, do we not? We've done our Bible studies. Our Bible studies fill us with our head knowledge. My prayer is that we'll take our head knowledge and get our heart knowledge because that's what Peter proclaims in Second Peter. That's the lesson he learned. It's not about the head knowledge. It's about the heart knowledge. That's what's going to get you through. So here's what scripture says. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples. How precious is that image in your head? How jealous are you of that image in your head? Don't you wish you could be part of that physical memory? Um, but the truth is that we are. That is how we live our life. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. The verse continues and it says, and on the way, he asked his disciples a question. This is not a new discussion for us to talk about, a new conversation for us to see, but I pray that we'll see the tone that is being expressed. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? I wonder if it was an immediate response, like those Sunday school kids. Ooh, I got the answer. I got the answer. I know who people say. I know what people say about you. If we were asked that question, who do people at your workplace say that Jesus is? Would you have that response right away or would you have to think about it? Would you say within yourself, I don't know. I've never talked to somebody in my workplace about Jesus. I don't know what they would say. When you think about people in your home, you think about people in your community, when you think about your neighborhood, your neighborhood, what do people in your neighborhood say who Jesus is? You're like, I have no idea. I've never talked to my neighbors about Jesus. Furthermore, it makes me wonder if my neighbors asked, what would Jacqueline say about Jesus? Would they know? It's an interesting question, isn't it? It's a good question for the disciples to hear. Are you proclaiming the name of Jesus? Are you listening to other people proclaim the name of Jesus? Are you aware of your surroundings and what people are saying about Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Verse 28, they, I'm curious which disciple spoke which word. It says, and they told Jesus, John the Baptist. I wonder if there was a pause and a conversation and a prayer moment that took place over John the Baptist. John the Baptist lived quite the life. These men knew Andrew was one of these. Andrew was one of the first disciples of John the Baptist. And he's here. I wonder if it was his tone that said, they're calling you John. They're comparing you to John. John brought me to you. And I hear people out there saying that you're John. I wonder if that get disgusted him at that thought. As much as he loved John for bringing him to Jesus and respected him and lifted him up as his spiritual leader, there was no comparison between John the Baptist and Jesus. I wonder the tone that was said and who said it. They told him John the Baptist and others of the disciples said Elijah. 
that's prophecy being fulfilled. That's them acknowledging these people, assumingly the Pharisees who knew the old scriptures are the ones that are proclaiming, oh, we're students of the scriptures. Therefore, we see Jesus. Therefore, we know that that is Elijah K. You've got the old scriptures all messed up because Jesus is the son of God and you won't even acknowledge that. Who do people say that I am? Some, some say John. Some say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. I wonder if a study on Malachi took place as they pondered that. And then in verse 29, we see, and he asked them, Jesus asked his precious followers, his people, his friends, but, but who do you, who do you and my sweet disciples, my followers, my faithful ones, who do you say that I am? Interesting. And once again, from the very first question, who do people say that I am? We took that personal, that question personal. And then here we see, who do you say that I am? And certainly we take that personal. I'm curious how many of us heard that question and wanted to, I know who I say you are. Whether I say it out loud to those around you, I know when I am in prayer with you, I know who you are. You are John 1, 1. You are always, you are the word. I know who you are. But this is, this is what I find so interesting and what I'm so excited to read in relation to what's coming up, the next conversation that's going to follow this in Mark chapter 8. This is absolutely amazing to me. It says, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter, first time a disciple is mentioned by name in this whole conversation, Peter is the one who answered and he proclaims four words. He says, you are the Christ. We can look at parallel passages in the gospels and we see in parallel passages of this gospel that the Holy Spirit put that answer in Peter. Peter in himself and his flesh did not conclude, okay, let me connect these dots. Okay, this is who you are. Jesus, you're Jesus. He didn't say that. He said, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You are God in the flesh who came to live, to die, to be buried, to rise again, to fulfill the entire scriptures through your blood. That's who you are. Scripture tells us in the other gospels that the Holy Spirit pops that in. And here's a personal challenge for each of us. We know scripture. We know when the Holy Spirit comes scripturally. Do we not? Does a passage come to your head when you think this is when the Holy Spirit came? What passage? What book? Acts. Is it Acts chapter one? Okay. That's when the Spirit comes. This is not Acts. The Holy Spirit has not been sent yet. Jesus, throughout the book of John, says, when I leave, God is going to send a comforter your way. God is going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to come and convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we love the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not on earth at this time. Here's your personal challenge. When you read through Matthew, read through Mark, read through Luke, read through John, and you just panicked. I have to read through all four gospels this week. No, 
you can have fun with that. However, when you do in your own time, as you are where you are, read through those gospels and pay attention to when you see the Holy Spirit, because you'll see him. We've talked about when we see him here in the study. Let your head think about that. Just in the first five weeks of who holds forgiveness, we've seen the Holy Spirit in the gospels before the Holy Spirit came as promised in Acts chapter one. Do you have a memory? I can see the thoughts going through. What scripture, what person did we see have a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit? I can tell you right now, you don't have to read all four gospels, all 90, 95 chapters total. Read the first few chapters of each of those books and find who the Holy Spirit passed over. Hmm, there's that smile. As we picture Mary, sit there and have an encounter with the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ was created to begin his life in the flesh. Oh, that we stop. Does that give you chills? The Holy Spirit had not been sent yet. Acts 1, Pentecost has not happened yet. But Mary, how precious is that memory? We think of her cousin Elizabeth. Do we remember that story of Elizabeth? Anybody else get chills of that personal experience that Elizabeth had? And not only Elizabeth, but that baby in her womb had this same experience. We've seen the Holy Spirit come one on one individual meeting each of these people as they were where they were to do what God wanted them to do before the Holy Spirit even came. Make that your personal challenge. Where do you see the Holy Spirit? In this story, when we talk about Peter, we see the Holy Spirit gave Peter this answer. And it's this answer in which Jesus says to him, you are the rock. Upon this rock, upon your declaration, your proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the gates of hell cannot prevail. This is the dialogue that Peter and Jesus are having. I'm curious what the other disciples were saying at that moment, if it was silent. Or, you know, when people are having dialogue and you start talking to the person next to you and you have like, oh, Jesus and Peter are talking, we'll talk about, you know, shoes over here. I'm curious if there were little conversations going on around Peter and Jesus or if it's silent. If everybody is taking in this conversation. Sometimes the disciples had indignation for one another, and we'll see that in the study. I'm curious if there was feelings of indignation, jealousy, strife. Oh, the disciples didn't struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. We see that. I'm curious if it was awe, if they knew what Jesus was saying, he was saying something big, and there's no room for jealousy or strife in their hearts. It was silent. I'm curious. What did that whole scene look like? My mother-in-law says, when we get to heaven and we have all that time to glorify God, what I really, really want to do is watch movies about Noah's in the ark. I want to watch movies about Abraham. I want to watch movies of Peter having this conversation, this proclamation over him. 
when he proclaimed as the spirit led him to proclaim you are the Christ. How beautiful to go up and watch those movies as God saw them, as God did them. That is not scriptural, but it's very possible. And I side with my mother-in-law and say, yeah, I want a first row ticket on that. <laughs> that's that's the, what I want to do. I want to watch all this displayed. See it all. How beautiful would that be? Absolutely amazing. So this is what, this is the conversation that we see happening. And then we go into verse 31. Hold on to what Peter just experienced, what Peter just felt. He felt the Holy Spirit in him for the very first time. And the Holy Spirit proclaimed from his mouth, the proclamation, you are the Christ. I wonder how Peter's feeling at that moment. He felt the Holy Spirit. It's awe. It's awe-inspiring when you feel that Holy Spirit move inside of you. When you're at this store and the Holy Spirit, the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God pauses for a moment, comes into you and says to you, human, I want you to do something that will infect eternity for another soul. And instead we look at people around us and think, the Holy Spirit of God asks us as little, little humans to bring one more little, little human to the name of Jesus Christ. Does that not blow you away that he lets us do that? For the very first time, Peter felt that. He felt something that we feel all the time, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Do we listen? Or has that feeling of the Holy Spirit become, yeah, yeah I love Jesus. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. And then what? We go on without our head knowledge. We go on talking about what other people say about Jesus and forget what we say about Jesus. Do you love this conviction coming out? Are your toes curling up just a little bit? Peter felt this for the very first time. I wonder what his in internal thoughts were after this. Like, oh, that was huge. Had to have been overwhelming. Had to have, because I know how overwhelming it is when the Holy Spirit moves. I know how overwhelming it is when the Holy Spirit moves and you move with him. There are no words. There are no words. And that's what Peter felt for the first time here. Then, then we see verse 31. And it says, and he, this is Jesus, and he began to teach them, the disciples, very personal, very personal conversation. He began to teach the disciples that the son of man must suffer. He must suffer many things. And that the son of man, that he himself, that Jesus in the flesh will be rejected by the elders of the tradition. We talked about this on our last study. He's going to be rejected by the chief priests. I wonder if when Jesus was explaining what's going to come upon his physical self, if he thought about his priests of old, if he thought about Aaron, the first priest of the Old Testament. I wonder if he thought through what he designed. And if he thought about the chief priests that sit 
so holy and self-proclaimed in that day. I'm curious the emotions. Jesus felt real emotions. I think sometimes we forget that. Those emotions aren't expressed on those flannel boards that we had growing up. They're not seen in the still shots that we know from Sunday school stories. But Jesus was a man. He had emotions. I wonder what emotions were crossing through as he's sharing his future, his design with his friends. He says, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the elders. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests. I'm going to be rejected by the scribes. And I'm going to be killed. Are you sitting with those disciples? It says, and after three days, Jesus says, after three days, my friends, I'm going to rise again hear that for the first time. We know the end of the story. We know it. And we stand on it. The chills overtake us. And we say, I know who you are. You are Jesus, the risen son of God. And I've put my faith in you. I believe in you entirely and fully. That's who you are. That's what we know. For the first time, however, the disciples are hearing this. The man that they quit their job for. Matthew walked away from his financial security to follow Jesus. John, James left their dad's business, their full inheritance to follow Jesus. Peter left it all, left his sin, his reputation. He left it all to follow Jesus. And here Jesus is saying to these men who lost it all, who left it all for him, I'm going to die. I wonder if they heard I'm going to rise again. Or if they stopped, what do you mean? You're going to die. The emotions, the thoughts. Verse 32, it says, and he, Jesus, said this plainly. He didn't speak in a parable to the disciples. He didn't give them a puzzle to figure out. He spoke plainly. This is the plan. I'm not making it easy. I'm not cutting it short. I'm not adding to it. This is what God loved the world so much that he sent me to do so that you can have eternal life and that you will not perish. Oh, that we think of those that we know that are not saved and give them John 3, 16, not because it's such an infamous verse, but because it is an infamous love for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever Whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. Do you know Jesus? If you don't, I pray you know him today. I pray that salvation happens today. Put your faith in him. He spoke the truth plainly. Good, good encouragement to us. I don't know how to tell somebody about Jesus. Hmm. Say it plainly. What do you mean? Jesus is God. God loved the world. God sent his son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Huh, that simple? Isn't that how you got saved? Did you not believe the plain story of Jesus Christ? There's not much to it. You don't need the tradition of the elders. You don't need the religion. You don't need the rules. You don't need the laws. You don't need the... You don't need 
all of that, you need the plain truth of the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That's how you tell others about Jesus. Verse 32, this is what we're talking about with Peter. Peter took him aside. So with the first conversation, we don't know if it was just Jesus and Peter having a conversation. We don't know if it was just Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Peter having a conversation. We don't know what the disciples are doing around him. But here, Jesus and Peter are alone. And I don't know if Peter took Jesus aside because he was so overwhelmed. This conversation, this is all going together in the same time period, the same day is happening. So Peter goes from feeling the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit give an answer out of his mouth, all those emotions and that, oh my gosh, that just happened to wait a minute. I'm on my mountain peak with you and you're going to die. I got a problem with that. Is that fair? You're on that mountain and all of a sudden you feel like you're in a valley and you're like, what just happened? I was standing and now I feel like I've fallen that quick. Can't blame Peter for taking Jesus aside. He had questions. Oh, and we have questions. Talk to Jesus. Yeah. Don't go to other people. Go to the source. I respect Peter for that. However, hmm, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Oh, you're like, I would never. Really? I'm curious if ever, ever in our life, ever during a hard situation, ever did we look back and say to Jesus, huh? You just did what in my life? I married this man of God and this is happening? I followed you in these rules and now this is happening? Have you not ever rebuked Jesus? Let us not throw a stone of judgment at Peter for doing what we have done. Peter was a real man, having real emotions. The difference is his story was captured for all the world to read. Ours, we lock inside our box and we sit there and we say, we don't ever rebuke the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> um, and then somebody teaches scripture and you're like, oh, <laughs> maybe I have. Maybe for a moment I wondered why. I had a teacher in Bible college and we were doing a study on Job. Great, great course. And this teacher during this course would always say in response to Job, he would say, it's okay to ask God why. It's okay to ask God why. Don't demand an answer. That's interesting. It's an interesting statement as you ponder. I just started the book of Job. I'm in chapter two of the book of Job. And this question, this statement is always on my heart whenever I get to the book of Job. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. I'm sure Job had questions. My life is gone. Why? As he's scraping his body. As his friends sit in silence around him because the weight of the heartache was so heavy, they couldn't find a word to say for a whole week. I wonder if at one point Job asked why, but I know because of what is said about him in scripture, he did not demand an answer. 
but he certainly, go to the end of the book of Job, he certainly asks questions. He certainly asks questions. And God answers. Peter took Jesus aside. And Peter shared the depths of his words to Jesus. He rebuked him. Here's verse 33. It says, but turning and seeing his disciples. Interesting. Interesting insight in that. That might be a fun personal challenge to see that fully, to connect to that tone, that response. But turning, Jesus turned and saw his disciples. He looked upon them all. He knew all the thoughts that were going on at this moment. I'm curious if he was seeing the heart of rebuke in anybody else in that room. I wonder what he was seeing, what tone was being hidden inside of each of these men during this conversation. In his turning, in his scene, he rebuked Peter. And he said to Peter, one of the hardest rebukes I've ever heard. And I've had so many questions as to why Jesus went so deep so quickly to Peter. Have you ever wondered this? Jesus turns and looks at Peter, who is just filled with the Holy Spirit, who just proclaimed the words that the Holy Spirit put on him to proclaim, you are the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me and refers to him by the name Satan. How deep does that not put a question in your heart? How can Jesus look at his friend, his follower, his person who is just filled with the Holy Spirit of God and say, get behind me, Satan. What is that? Here's my proclamation of that. There is war. There is a constant war going on at all times between the Holy Spirit and Satan. Always. We read this in Galatians last week. We read Walk by the flesh, walk by the spirit. Live in the flesh, live in the spirit. Move in the flesh, move in the spirit. There's constantly a war going on. We could say when it's talking about that flesh, it's being led astray by the flesh. It's saying, Jesus, I'm going to put you over here for a minute because I've got flesh to live over here. I'll be back. Don't go anywhere. As if that works. As if Jesus isn't always with you. As if the spirit of God isn't always in us because we know Acts 1. We know the story. But here it's a whole brand new concept. Jesus is teaching his disciples what's going to be their reality in just a couple years. Their reality is the Holy Spirit is going to overcome them. Overcome them. And miracle upon miracle is going to happen throughout the book of Acts. Miracle upon miracle is going to happen throughout all of their lives. They're going to write stories. They're going to write letters that are going to impact generations upon generations upon generations. They're going to write letters that we're going to study today in Women Inseparable. That is what's getting ready to happen in the lives of these men. And Jesus turns and says, the Holy Spirit would just present himself for just a moment among your group. And you're going to rebuke it. And I'm going to say to you, don't you dare ever let anything come above the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you do, you're living on the life of Satan. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Always. Always it's either being filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaiming the words of the Holy Spirit 
or it's saying, I'm going to attempt to do something that's virtually impossible. I'm going to take the Holy Spirit out of me as a child of God, and I'm going to put him on a shelf. And then I'm going to go express my thoughts. It's virtually impossible. It's taking out the blood of your body and continuing on to live. Can't do it. You can't do that. The Holy Spirit is in us. And Peter felt that for the first time. The whole disciples are seeing this for the first time. When the Holy Spirit comes, you have no place to look at anything other than God. We talked last week about living this way. Have you thought about that much? Has that kind of overwhelmed you? Did anybody ever ask the question, what does that look like? Like, I get it. I want it. I want to look this way. I want to live my marriage with my eyes on Jesus. I want to live my, raise my children with my eyes on Jesus. I want to take care of my grandbabies with my eyes on Jesus. I want to go to work in my neighborhood. I want to live this life on earth with my eyes on Jesus. But what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like what Peter learned at this moment. Peter learned, and we see this in Second Peter, Peter learned this huge lesson. It's not about what's in front of me. It's always about what's up there. Jesus was standing in front of Peter in the flesh, and Peter was seeing Jesus in the flesh. He was seeing his friend. He was seeing his leader. He was seeing his master. He was looking at Jesus. Peter really had a sweet intention. He's like, Jesus, there's so much more that you need to be doing than die on the cross. You need to not die. There's things for you to do. Like Peter's heart was real. You can't die. Don't you know you have a purpose? We need you. Peter was looking at Jesus. That's wonderful. That's great. The problem is that we see in Second Peter that he reminds us of, it's not about Jesus in the flesh. And this is where some religions go wrong. It's about Jesus, the son of God ascended back into heaven. It's not about Jesus living. It's not about Jesus dying on the cross and there's religions that go wrong there. Jesus is still dead. Hmm. That's what these religions are doing. And Jesus says to those religions, get behind me, Satan. It's not about Jesus in the flesh. It's about Jesus risen again. It's always about Jesus risen again. It's always about Jesus conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the grave, conquering everything, silencing Satan in all ways. And Peter says in first Peter, he says, I went back and I told Satan, I told the followers of his lies. I won. So Jesus did. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach Peter and the disciples at this moment. It's not get your eyes off me in the flesh. Get your eyes off me and my death. Get your eyes off that and get your eyes on eternity because it's eternity that matters. Life, life is a blink, isn't it? We can all testify of that. Life is a blink. James tells us it's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Eternity, eternity, we can't even wrap our heads around it. Set your eyes on things above not on things of the earth. You'll know what that looks like because you'll live it. You'll live it today. 
this very moment. And then you'll live it in another hour, that very moment. And then you'll live it another minute later in that very moment. Don't worry about it, what it's going to look like in five years. Don't worry. Don't get a five-year plan with my life with the Holy Spirit because you just neglected the Holy Spirit and you came up with your own fleshly plan. Don't do that. Don't worry about what it's going to look like tomorrow because what is tomorrow? Got its own problems. Matthew 6 tells us that. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's about right now. Okay, so walking in the Spirit means right now I'm in Scripture. Good. You're on a good start. It's a good way to start. And then drive home and ask yourself always, are my eyes on Jesus? Are my, oh, yeah. How do you do that? How do you walk in the Spirit? You remember. Remember. And that's what Second Peter 3 tells us. Remember. Remember what? I don't remember Scripture well. That's okay. Do you remember God? So three things to remind yourself. When you're in a hard time and you need to remember, I need to set my eyes on Jesus. What do I do? Here's three things. Remember God. Remember God. As you are where you are, when you think of God, what do you think of? Remember him. Ah, that might quiet your mouth from saying what your mouth is just getting ready to say. Remember God. Think about those stars. How do you get past that? He made the stars also. Think about that. Remember God. Number two, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, the Christ, the risen son of God. I'm in a hard spot. I need to keep my eyes on heavenly things. How do I do that? Remember Jesus. Number three, remember the Holy Spirit. He is in you. Don't ever forget that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your book is so good. Your scripture is endless. The truths that we learn from it are endless. Stories that we have read, that we have seen with our eyes for so many years, for some of us, so many decades, we've seen the same passage. But Father God, I pray that right now we'll see it and hear it and taste the goodness of it for the first time today. I pray for that friend that is listening for the first time today that is hearing about the resurrection of the Son of God. I pray right now that their words will proclaim that you, Jesus, is the Son of God, that you are the Christ. I pray the Holy Spirit will meet them where they are and that salvation will come upon their heart as they proclaim your death, Jesus, your burial and your resurrection. I pray for those religions, Lord God, with your permission. I pray for those religions that are keeping you dead. <laughs> that are keeping you on a cross, that are keeping you as a side thought. Oh, it just hurts my tongue to even say that. Father God, I pray right now that your name will proclaim itself in each and every one of these religions, that you will meet the people that are attending churches and religions and place of worships across this world, that you will meet each and every individual today, whispering upon their hearts, the name of Jesus. I pray that eyes will be opened. Father God, I pray that eyes will be opened, that they'll see that you are the Christ. Oh, Lord God, how you've always been. We hear stories that salvation is overtaking nation after nation right now with all this persecution and all that's going on around the world. Oh, I pray that salvation will continue to multiply. Multiply the sweet name of Jesus across our world. 
And Father God, I pray that you'll multiply the name of Jesus in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, simply by us proclaiming the name of Jesus to them. I pray that our neighbors know how we answer the question, who do we say that you are? Father God, I pray that our words will always, always be that Jesus is the Christ, the risen Son of God. And it is in the power of his most precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WIOnline. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.